You're listening to a podcast presented by Providencia West Palm Beach, a church that exists for the flourishing of all people located in the city center of West Palm Beach, Florida. Our hope is to love our city, listen to your story, and practice the grace of God. We hope you enjoy this content. If you haven't already, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and leave us a review. Thanks for tuning in. Enjoy the episode. A quick note just to say that during the recording of this episode, there's a buzz in the audio that you'll hear throughout the sermon. This is a technical error that we're working to resolve for future sermons. We hope you'll excuse it and that you enjoy the rest of the episode. Tonight's scripture reading comes from the book of Acts, chapter 9, verses 1 through 6. It says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Taylor, for reading that. Thank you, Danny, for leading us in worship so far. Thanks, Rachel. Where'd Rachel go? Thanks, Rachel, for leading us in confession, for writing that beautiful proclamation of truth. Good evening. My name is Drew, and I'm one of the pastors here at Providencia. Uh, Tonight is the third week of Easter, so we're going to keep talking about resurrection, if that's all right. The truth is, at least for me, it can sometimes feel like that the celebration of Jesus' resurrection on Easter Sunday is just a a temporary, joyous break from the everyday melancholy and despair that plagues our lives. For some of us, the, the dressing up, the seeing family, the endless Easter egg hunts and the sugar highs are a mountaintop that we can't wait to come down from. Some of us are more comfortable in the valley. I've been there. I'm there most of the time, actually. And I hate that it feels comfortable. The valley isn't supposed to be comfortable. Despair and darkness are not supposed to be familiar, and celebration is not supposed to feel foreign or difficult. But it does. See, the tension of our lives exists between despair and hope, between celebration and grief, between sadness and joy. And Jesus is present in that tension. And Jesus is resurrected. 
So one way that we can live in that tension, one way I have learned to start to embrace that tension is by practicing resurrection stories. And so that's what I've called tonight's sermon, practicing resurrection stories. One of the things that we do at Providencia uh, sometime in the summer usually before the fall semester starts is we choose a a word or a theme that will kind of be a, a foundation for the year's sermons. This year that theme was praxis. Praxis. If you're one of the seven people who reads the weekly email, first of all, thank you for your service. And second of all, you might have seen the Praxis graphic that we have used all year long. Praxis is the other side of the coin of belief. Believing, thinking, understanding are all important, but they must be paired with practices, with actions, with ethics. And so even though we haven't always been very explicit this year, especially in using this theme, I want to invoke it intentionally tonight. See, two of our four lectionary readings, the readings that we follow as a church tradition, um, helps guide our reading through scripture through the year. Two of our four readings from the lectionary for this Sunday are stories of resurrection. They're Acts chapter 9, which Taylor just read a minute ago, and John chapter 21. I want to weave these two stories together with another story of resurrection, one that comes from the prophetic book of Jonah. As we get into these stories, you might think to yourself, I've heard these stories before, but I didn't remember that being in that story. That's okay. I'm going to encourage you to go back and read these stories again. If you want to jot these down, here are all five of the passages. Four of those are for our lectionary for today. Acts 9, 1 to 6, Psalm 30, Revelation 5, and John 21. And then I'm going to use Jonah chapter 2, 1 to 10. If you want to take a picture of that with your phone or write those down, I'd love it if you went back tonight, later on this week, whenever. Read these stories together because there's some beautiful themes being woven in these passages. Now, among our staff team, I sometimes catch a lot of flack for being a fan of country music. I catch flack from a lot of people. I do have to say, I don't catch flack from Danny. Because Danny knows good music. Danny, when I bring up the subject of country music, just blames it all on my roots and jumps into the chorus of Friends in Low Places. But I want to suggest tonight an image. I won't sing it. I want to suggest an image for us. Um, This comes from a country singer that I love named Sturgill Simpson. Um, This is the album cover for uh, his album, A Sailor's Guide to Earth, which he wrote the song, he wrote the songs and recorded them just after the birth of his first child, a son. And so this is an image, um, not just of the perils of parenting, even though it is that, but it's also an image that goes along with the second song on the album, which is called Breaker's Roar. Breaker's Roar. It's a beautiful image of 
parenting, a daunting image of parenting. It's also, I think, a beautiful image of the place where resurrection happens. So let's go back to Saul's story in Acts chapter 9. When we first meet Saul in Acts, he is standing by lending his approval to the murder of one of the early Christians. Stephen, who is the first martyr in the Christian tradition that we have recorded for us, Saul is there holding the coats of those who are throwing stones. This is Saul. And when we pick up his story at the beginning of Acts chapter 9, we find that he is, the phrase is, still breathing out murderous threats against the people of Jesus, against the people of the way as it was known. See, this is more than just persecution. It is that, but it's more than that. This is something more akin to religious terrorism. A campaign of terror that Saul has embarked on against a religious minority. And so Saul sets off on this road to Damascus And as he sets off, he's armed with purpose, with passion, with authority. This is religious terrorism sanctioned by the highest religious elites in Jerusalem. He's armed with these things and he is being, he's been given the power to seize people. To take their livelihood or even maybe their life. And he's armed with fear. The religious elite in Jerusalem were afraid of the followers of Jesus. That they might upset their way of life. But along this road to Damascus, Saul, even armed with all of this power, is met by one more powerful. He's met by the risen Jesus And when he meets one more powerful, he's also, it seems, surprised to meet one who is also woundable. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul wasn't persecuting Jesus. Saul was persecuting normal humans. But the resurrected Jesus identifies himself with those who are being persecuted persecuted. So Saul asks, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now, get up. Get up. It's a word in Greek that can mean just get up off the floor, just stand up. But it's also the word that is used every time in the gospel accounts to talk about resurrection. When Jesus goes into the house of the little girl who has died and he lays his hands on her and tells her to get up, it's the resurrection word. When Lazarus rises from the dead, this word appears again. And then every time Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John talk about Jesus being raised from the dead, it's this word. Now maybe Luke the author of Acts, just means here that Saul's getting up off the ground. I'm willing to admit that. But I don't think 
that Luke or any other early Christian can use this word anymore and not think about Jesus' resurrection. This is Saul being raised up, being resurrected. But even though Jesus issues this resurrection call to Saul, first, Saul's got to sit in blindness for a little while. Now, there's a metaphor in here somewhere, a sermon illustration. I can't quite put my finger on it because it's strange to me that Saul's got to go backward to go forward. In the Gospels, every time a person encounters Jesus, especially a blind person, that encounter ends in healing, not the other way around. That metaphor I get. I once was blind, now I see. But Saul, Saul's been called to rise up, to be resurrected, and yet his sight has been taken away. Reminds me of another story of blindness, another kind of blindness, one that Peter experienced. This kind of blindness is in some ways even worse than literal blindness because this blindness affects more than just your eyes. It's the blindness of guilt and shame. When we pick up Peter's story in John chapter 21, Peter has already been visited by the resurrected Jesus twice in John chapter 20. And yet when we find Peter in John 21, he is still racked with guilt and shame. How do we know that? Well, at the beginning of John 21, Peter's sitting around with several of the disciples and they don't know what to do. Nobody knows what to do. And so Peter says, I'm going out to fish. That's Peter returning to an old life. Jesus told him he wasn't going to be a fisherman anymore. But Peter doesn't know what to do because Peter's racked with shame and guilt. And so he just goes right back to that old life. I'm going out to fish. And in another beautiful metaphor from scripture, they don't catch anything because going back to that old life is useless. And then the morning comes and Jesus is standing on the shore, but they don't know it's Jesus. And he calls to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, of course, they don't have any fish. Jesus knows that. Throw your nets on the other side of the boat. Again, Peter doesn't know what to do, so he's taking random fishing advice from the guy standing on the shore. They throw their nets on the other side, and it's a giant catch. This triggers their identification of Jesus. And Peter jumps out of the boat and swims to shore. And when they get to shore, there's this other beautiful image of Jesus right there on the beach already making breakfast for the disciples. And then there's the famous conversation between Jesus and Peter. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? The other way we know Peter's still racked by shame and guilt is because the text tells us that the third time Jesus asked Peter, do you love me, Peter was hurt. 
Because Peter, every time he sees anything or hears anything that comes in a set of three, his mind is immediately thrown back to the night of Jesus' betrayal and crucifixion when he denied Jesus three times. When that kind of thing happens, you can't help but see things like that over and over. Three things are just ringing in Peter's ears. And so, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Makes Peter hurt. But Jesus doesn't leave Peter there. See, when Jesus gets hold of Peter in this moment... He doesn't just balance Peter's scales. See, three denials and three proclamations of love. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? That's a balanced scale. Three for three. Jesus doesn't leave it there. Jesus tips that scale in Peter's favor. Offers him one more chance. Peter, follow me. Same call that he issued to him the first time he met him by the Sea of Galilee. When you've experienced that kind of grace, that resurrection power move through you, when it's pulled you up from the dirt of the Damascus road or pulled you out of the pit of shame and despair, that's when the poetry starts flowing. That's when we start singing. We start rejoicing. We start giving thanks to God. We start writing songs. Maybe they sound a little bit like these words from Jonah. In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. With shouts of grateful praise, I will sacrifice to you. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. That is a resurrection song. Way back in Jonah chapter 2. Recognize where you've been. How deep in the realm of the dead you were. How distressing the pit was. And then see, sing about just how far the saving arm of God reaches. Salvation comes from the Lord. But here's the catch. And it's Jonah chapter 2 verse 1. See, what was on the screen just a moment ago started in Jonah 2 verse 2. Jonah chapter 2 verse 1 tells us that this whole resurrection song Jonah sings from the belly of the fish. That's it. That's the whole sermon. I'm going to take a few minutes to unpack it a little bit, but that's it. Jonah sings this resurrection song from inside the belly of the fish. See, I don't know about you, but I grew up with the story of Jonah. Jonah receives a call from the Lord. Go to Nineveh. Preach to the great city of Nineveh. But Jonah instead runs away. There's a storm at sea. 
This, this story is very funny. There's a storm at sea. Jonah says, it's me. I'm the reason for the storm. Throw me overboard and the storm will cease. Well, Jonah, who's the prophet of the Lord and is supposed to be the good guy in this story, turns out keeps failing over and over again. But the sailors, they're good guys. They're like, no way. We don't throw people overboard. That's you dying. We're not going to kill you. The sailors are the good guys somehow. The people of Nineveh are the good guys later in this story. It's all upside down. Jonah finally convinces them to throw him overboard as a last resort. He goes overboard. They think he's dead. And the storm calms. Not for Jonah. But above the water it calms. And then the fish gobbles Jonah up. Now, scholars debate about this story, whether this is a story that actually happened or the Israelites thought it was a story that actually happened, whether it's a satire of some sort. I'm not here to decide that debate. What's not up for debate about the story of Jonah is that it's hilarious. And one of the funny things about this story, aside from a guy being swallowed by a fish, is that this resurrection song comes from inside the fish. Jonah has heard the word of the Lord. He's run away. He's incurred the wrath and the consequences that comes with trying to run away from God. Don't try to run away from God. Scripture tells us it just is no use. But then, after he's thrown overboard, thinking to himself that he has balanced the scales. I ran away from God. Bad things happened. I got thrown overboard. I've balanced the scales. God tips the scales in Jonah's favor, just like in Peter's story. Jonah gets swallowed up by a fish. And that's not the end of the scale tipping that God does for Jonah, because I always thought Jonah didn't get resurrected until he got spit up on shore again. That, to me, is living being resurrected is not being in the belly of a fish. Being back on shore is being resurrected, but not for Jonah. Hilariously, mysteriously, the resurrection Jonah needed was being swallowed up by a fish. But God gives even more grace, even more resurrection, and the word of the Lord comes to Jonah again. But it's in the chaos of the seas, of life and death, where resurrection happens. When we are in distress, when we call for help, that's when resurrection happens. When we are deep in the realm of the dead, when we are mourning the loss of others, mourning the loss of ourselves, that's when resurrection happens. When the waves and breakers crash over us, that's when resurrection happens. When the waters of shame and guilt are at our throat, when the seaweed of sorrow and pain is wrapped around our heads, that's when resurrection happens. When the mountains have been inverted and we have sunk to their depths, that's when resurrection happens. when we've actually been fighting God, maybe even hating God's people as Saul was, that's when resurrection happens. But because resurrection sometimes looks like blindness 
as it did for Saul. Or because resurrection sometimes looks like an upside-down crucifixion, as it did in Peter's story. Or because sometimes resurrection looks like the inside of the belly of a fish. Because of that, we practice resurrection stories. See, some of you know what the valley of the shadow of death looks like. You've been there. You've felt that ground with your knees and your face when you couldn't stand up. You've gasped for breath in that place that sucks all the oxygen out of the room. Some of you know what the waves and breakers feel like when they're pulling you farther and farther from shore. Some of you know the blindness of guilt and shame. A blindness that often becomes a deafness to words of hope and a muteness to sounds of joy. Some of you know the valley of the shadow of death. And that's why we practice resurrection stories. We practice resurrection stories for people like our brother Chris Wood. I know many of you know Chris well. Some of you don't know Chris as well. Some of you are new around here. Chris has been a fixture just over here with an electric guitar or with a bass, or doing any number of things around the building for the memorial congregation and for our Providencia congregation. Chris has recently been taken ill. Up until a few months ago, you'd have seen him here tonight. He's recently been diagnosed with a rare form of appendiceal cancer. He's down in Miami now getting chemo treatment. But our brother Chris, his wife Carrie, our sister, his kids, Aiden and Avery, our little brothers, they are in the valley. I don't mean to imply that the situation is hopeless or that Chris is hopeless, but they are in the valley. And those of us who know something about the valley of the shadow of death know where they are. But we believe in a God who resurrects. We believe in a God who heals and restores. So we practice resurrection stories out of hope for our brother Chris. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. So Saul got pulled up out of the dirt of hate and murder. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. So Peter got pulled up out of a pit of shame and despair. Jesus is the resurrection and the life, so Jonah got swallowed up by a fish. Jesus is the resurrection and the life, so our brother Chris can be pulled out of this valley too. I'm not here tonight to prophesy or conjure a miracle. That is not what we do. What I'm here to do is recite a miracle. 
We tell these old stories, stories written long ago in another context, in another time, because those stories were inspired by the same God who resurrects and is living today. So we practice resurrection stories because sometimes we're on the mountaintop side of the tension between despair and hope. And when we're on the mountainside of that tension, we can recite stories of resurrection for those who are down in the valley. And sometimes we're on the valley side of that tension. And when we're on the valley side of the tension between despair and hope, we need resurrection stories that are so ingrained in us sunk so deep inside us that they feel like good news, as my friend Emily says. That they feel like good news even when the waves and the breakers are roaring. That's why we practice resurrection stories. Let's pray. Thanks for joining us for this episode. The work we do is made possible by your partnership and generosity. If you enjoyed the content and would like to support our work, please visit ProvidenciaWPB.org and click on the Give link. The music you hear in the beginning and end of our show was written, produced, and recorded by our music collective, Paradise Hymns. Find their original songs wherever you stream music. Thanks again, and have a blessed day.